And the first reading can be found on page 819 in the Old Testament section of the Bible. It is taken from Ezekiel, chapter 36, beginning at the 22nd verse. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when through you I display my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. The second reading can be found on page 90 in the New Testament section of the Bible. It is taken from John's Gospel, chapter 3, beginning at the first verse. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his, his only Son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth, the thoughts and meditations of all our hearts be now and always pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and redeemer. Amen. Last week I recall mentioning in John's Gospel uh, there is often a story and you have the story but you have a deeper meaning to tease out and that's certainly one way John does his writing. Uh, the other way, self-evidently, is that John tells a story and fairly predictable kind of um, storytelling to make a point. He makes the point at the end. And so you have a story of a blind man and you have a point about Jesus being the light of the world. You have a story about fountains and you have a thought that actually there's going to be a wellstream of life coming from within us. Uh, without further ado, where we're going this morning is the story of Jesus and Nicodemus, and then at the end you have this great statement to unlock it all. So in Hamlet, Act 3, I think, you have that statement, to be or not to be. That's the question. Young Hamlet was pondering the afterlife, to be or not to be. I'm not going to do Shakespeare, Act 3. We're looking at the Bible John chapter 3. And just as that piece was probably one of the greatest pieces of writing in English literature, so you have the very famous John chapter 3, verse 16, the end of the point of the story, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. We know it so well, or I trust we do. What I want to do is to look at this under three headings and make some very, very clear contemporary references. And as we've prayed, I hope the Spirit of God speaks to our lives accordingly. So to be or not to be, to God or not to God. To God or not to God, that really is a very, very big question. I remember sitting with a minister and I often reflect on this myself that actually sometimes all you need to do is sit down and think, there is a God. And then just be quiet. Just, just sit and 
be still. Actually, isn't that in the Bible somewhere? (laughs) Just realise that. Be still and know that I'm God. Just stop, just stop. God or not God. Of course you've got your faith, of course you've got the hymns, of course you've got your Christian family, of course you've got all the convictions, but to not God, here's the contemporary relevance. There are a number of people today for whom belief in a not God or atheism is not just so much becoming a part of life, it's becoming a militant exercise to make people who do believe in God, like us, feel uncomfortable. I suppose the professional terminology is militant atheism. It's not just that they're atheists. They are atheists and really, really do say, but there is no God, and you need to hear this. I don't want to worry you, but I've listened to some of their lectures and talks, and they're actually quite persuasive, actually. I mean, they they know what they're doing. The arguments are very, very powerful. They'll fill buildings, hopefully not churches. They've certainly got their conventions and their conferences. Thousands of people listening on their every word as to why you should not believe in God. The soft and cuddly uh, format of this, which you might have heard of recently, is of course Richard Dawkins. Interestingly, if you do dig beneath his writings, you'll find even he is saying, or actually I think I've come to the conclusion that the best way to live the world is in a Christian possible way, but please bear in mind there isn't a God. (laughs) I'm digressing slightly, but do look at the writings of Tom Holland, someone who isn't, who is sympathetic to the Christian cause, who certainly wouldn't be preaching about Jesus Uh, the life of the Spirit and the growth of the church, but even he would say, as the development of humanity has gone on, it's the Christian cause that's helped the whole thing hold together. So there are some massive inconsistencies. Not wanting to step on anyone's toes, please, but one of my professional lots as a vicar is to actually conduct funeral services and to negotiate with loved ones what happens at those final moments. And there is almost an escalation now of people who are requesting, not vicars, but someone that's known in a trade as a civil celebrant. And so you tick your form at the hospital, or I'm Church of England, or you wander into your undertakers, or I'm Church of England. Now you're actually saying, but I don't want Church of England. In fact, I'm really very concerned. I don't want God at all. I have to say, some of these people are really very good. But it is interesting at a popular level how adamant and concerned people are that there really isn't a God, and I don't want any reference made to him. Some fascinating inconsistencies, and to bore you for a few moments when we're putting together services for the life of loved ones, Of course I want a Christian service. Of course I want a Christian vicar. Can't always tell. (laughs) Of course I want some hymns. But actually I'm quite relaxed if there's a piece of poetry or a contemporary pop song or a piece of literature. What's interesting to me when you have these civil celebrants conducting these services, most are very militant where we keep God completely out of the picture, 
But the really mixed up ones are saying, well, I don't mind if you say the Lord's Prayer. Or I don't mind if you sing a hymn or two. But actually, we don't believe in God. To be or not to be, to God or not to God. Notice in the story that John records at which this fundamental defining statement is made, Jesus, we need to listen to him, speaks to Nicodemus who has questions, points to one inexcusable and undeniable fact in the course of the whole of human history when he is lifted up. The cross on which Jesus died happened. Of course the atheist would say, well, he's a Jew. Of course the atheist would say it didn't make any difference. That is another story, but he was lifted up. Whether you're with the Catholic Church, you have his body on the cross, or whether you're with the Protestant Church and it's empty because of the resurrection, neither here nor there the cross happened. And in this Jesus, God was there. To God or not God, that is the question. I hope today you won't be unhinged or destabilized by the rise of militant atheism. My personal recommendation to you is just to let them get on with it. Don't try and challenge them at all. Pray for them, and the Lord himself will open their eyes. Some of them will probably be like Nicodemus, coming in their thoughts and prayers at night and wondering in the stillness, hmm, God is there. To love or not to love, that also is the question. For God so loved the world. Love is very important when it comes to talking about God. Principally because that's how he's defined. You cut him through in his very being, if you could do that, and you will find love. Even John says in quite simple terms, God is love. To love or not to love, that really is the question. I have to say I'm not the greatest parent in the world. I've had my go at it and that's it. They're going to get on with life themselves now. And I'm certainly not going to write a book on parenting. But if I was to say to one or two people that this is how you should give it a go, I think most of us would get this. So here we are, darlings. You're off to do your exams. I tell you what, I love you. But you know what? If you don't get a really good grade, I'm not going to love you. Now, I'll tell you what, that really is not great parenting, okay? (laughs) So notice what it says here. God so loved the world that he expects everything about you to be perfect. God so loves you that he expects you to be doing this. Sadly, Even many church people find that they are living not under grace, but under law. What does it say in the Old Testament? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Your neighbor as yourself. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit murder, even if you feel like it. Notice these Ten Commandments come after the Lord had rescued his people from Egypt because he loves them. The law is there to keep us in God's love. It can't in any way, shape or form help us feel loved by God. 
Nothing you'll ever do in the future, nothing that's ever happened to you in the past will stop God loving you. He just is like that. You might not love yourself. That's another question. You might not feel God loves you. That is another question. But if you're going to ask God to come and preach a sermon and say, what do you like? And he says, I just love you. That's the end of it. I guess we need to listen to that. To love or not to love, that really is the question. For God so loved the world that he gave. Now here's something I feel most strongly about. Let me try and put it like this. How do we describe the fact that God does love us? Even the word agape there in John means literally it's giving love with no strings attached. He's not expecting anything from you on your past. He's certainly not looking for anything from you on your future. He just loves you. Well, how does he do that? Well, he gives of himself. How the Lord gives of himself to make sure you feel love and are eternally secure is a very, very interesting question. To God or not to God, to love or not to be loved, to give or not to give, this really is a question. Of course, Jesus himself points Nicodemus as he points us to his cross on which God himself was there, causing us to be loved as sins and folly and all that's within and without in the world that's wrong is somehow dealt with. How is it that we should best describe that God gives to us so that we should be loved? Here's how I find some Christian churches and sadly some Christians believe it should be done. It's as if God was punishing his son. Some people describe it as God is like a cosmic sadist, you see, who takes his child, his only Jesus, his only son, and there he is on the cross, making atonement, punishing Jesus for what should have been ours. It's known professionally as penal substitutionary atonement. There is an element of that there within the scriptures, but it has to be incredibly nuanced and interpreted. For many people today feel that life is actually punishing them. Many people today have had the misfortune of being inappropriately punished and disciplined by their parents. Sadly, increasing numbers of people and putting their hand up and saying, but I've been punished and abused inappropriately by the Christian church or its leaders and its people. It really won't do to put it out there that God is into punishment, venting his anger on a world and having it out with his son, who he almost seems to enjoy putting on the cross and punishing the ultimate cosmic sadist. No wonder people are not going to believe in a God like that. I frankly certainly don't. If you want to know the professional answer, there are at least nine views of the atonement within 
the New Testament itself. Penal substitutionary atonement is one of the hardest to describe. And that's only one of nine. In the rest of the scriptures, the Old and New Testament together, there are many, many ways in which God himself gives to his world in order that all that's wrong within it might not stop God being God and loving us. Shouldn't we be surprised that actually God is God and has got it? You know, if you give a job to someone, you say, oh, I wonder if this one's going to work out all right. You give a job to someone else and you just look at them and you think, well, they've got it. When you look at God in the face, has he got his world? Has he got his problems in the world? Yes, he certainly has. Jesus Christ was lifted up on the cross. All that was wrong within, all that was wrong without, is somehow dealt with and contained by this Jesus. He wasn't being punished. He was holding all that's wrong within us and in the world within himself. Had a beautiful illustration of that this week. In fact, as you know, we've had Holiday Club and my wife, who's got uh, off-the-scales ability, she's a teacher of children with special needs, was looking after a child with particular special needs. Not sure what the appropriate professional term with. I think it was proprioceptive input, if you're into all this. But basically, you're looking at troubled children that can't help being troubled. It's either what's happened to them or it's there in their genes. And there's appropriate ways of helping children that are troubled. And proprioceptive input for the numpties and the idiots in the room like me is when you give them a hug. <laughs> well... <laughs> Frankly, I don't need to go to university to realise that. But, you know, it's, it's all right. I, I, I've got you. I, I, I'm holding you. you, you you're loved. It's all right. God so loved the world that he gave, that he, he hugged it within himself as Jesus was there on the cross and then the empty cross comes as the tomb is empty. And God says, do you know what, Mark? If you give me a job of looking after the world, I've got it. I can handle it. I'm God. What a statement. Such love is so amazing. Demands my soul, my life, my all. Perhaps this morning, many of us need to just find time to reflect that there is a God. Calm the whole thing down. Perhaps some of us have realized that actually, I don't feel loved. My parents didn't do a great job. Maybe they did do a great job and life has been hard to you. Maybe you find it hard to think that actually it's going to be all right. That's how it is. Your love, God will give to you. Moments quiet and I'll lead you in a prayer. Father, we've been looking at a passage of scripture that talks about the world. We recognize that it's 
our prayers, our lives that we're thinking about. And so we want to thank you this day for loving us, for opening our hearts and our lives and our eyes to all that Jesus is and can be. Help us to know we're loved and help us to live lives that show that we are. And for a world that often ignores you or speaks against you, we pray for your love and mercy to be shed upon them, that all might see our Saviour lifted high upon the cross. And when he is, may they be drawn to himself. So may your blessing rest upon us and those for whom we've been thinking and praying even this day. In Jesus' name, amen.